This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. This is Steve Guglielmi, Editorial Director for Knowledge at Wharton. And today I'm joined by Wharton Marketing Professor Jonah Berger, who has a new paper titled, Thinking of You, How Second-Person Pronouns Shape Cultural Success. Jonah, thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. So let's begin by by talking about what question motivated you to do this research. Sure. So uh, we've been doing a lot of uh, work around uh, what's called natural language processing. So uh, extracting uh, behavioral insights from textual data. Um, everything we do from uh, this interview we're recording, uh, conversations we have with friends and family members, reviews we leave online, customer service calls, songs we listen to, articles we read, all of them all contain language. Uh, and there's a really exciting opportunity now to mine uh, some of this data for behavioral uh, insight, uh, to understand why songs or movies succeed, to understand why some customer service calls goes better than others, um, and to use language uh, to be more effective, essentially to extract wisdom from words uh, so we can uh, all uh, all understand behavior better and, and be more effective as well. Uh, and so in this particular case, uh, we were interested in a question that I think uh, many people have wondered at one point in time in their lives, which is, you know, why do some songs become hits? We all know hit songs. We all hear hit songs on the radio. Uh, we all listen to them years, if not decades, after they come out. Uh, some songs become hits. Others fail. Uh, same things with books. Uh, same things with movies uh, and so on. But one question is kind of why do some of these things win out uh, in the marketplace of ideas uh, and others fail? Uh, obviously, there are billions of dollars spent uh, on movie production and song production and books, and some of them are really successful and some are not. Uh, and so why? Um, and I think we've all wondered that both uh, as consumers, but as a marketing professor as well. This is something I've tried to study to quantify. And so we did a paper uh, a few years ago uh, where we found that what are called atypical songs, songs that sing about different things than their genre, are more successful. Uh, so take country music, for example. Country music tends to talk a lot about things like girls and cars and, and those types of things. Uh, but we found uh, looking at thousands of songs across multiple years, songs that sing about different things than their genres uh, are more successful trolling for a host of other things, uh, sort of atypical songs, uh, songs that use more atypical lyrics, atypical themes are more successful. Um, and in that project, we controlled for a variety of other things, genre, artist, time period, um, and also individual words. Um, and, and one thing we controlled for uh, was pronouns, among, uh, among other things. Uh, so uh, pronouns, for example, I might use the word I or me. I might use the word you. I might talk about we or us. Uh, and we controlled for these things uh, to make sure that those weren't driving our results. But interestingly, we had hundreds of controls uh, in that project. Um, and we published a paper on atypicality. But when we looked at the controls, we noticed one thing was particularly unusual. Uh, there was one class of words that we were using as a control variable, but that stood out for us. And so we started wondering why uh, that might have worked out uh, the way it did. And, and that's really what started this new paper. Right. Well, well so in your study, um, you hypothesized this, that the success of a lot of popular songs boils down to one simple word, and that's the pronoun you. Uh, so can you explain to us why that is? Yeah, so, so first let's make sure what we understand what we mean uh, by you. 
Um, uh, and so we all use the word you all the time. Um, what are you doing today? How are you feeling? You made me happy. You made me sad. Songs sing about uh, this word often. Uh, so think about Whitney Houston's famous song, uh, you know, I Will Always Love You, right? Um, think about Queen's uh, We Will Rock You. You can think about lots of songs uh, that use the word uh, Y-O-U uh, at, at some point. Um, and you might be sitting there going, what, what do you mean? Of course songs use the word you, but like I don't really pay attention to whether songs use the word you or not. Um, and even in our daily life, we don't pay attention to the word you very much. Um, use an example uh, of what is called uh, a style word, uh, which basically it's sort of treated like noise. Um, yeah, we use it, but we don't think very much uh, about it. Um, uh, we pay very little attention to the words we use that go in between the content of what we talk about. Uh, language researchers often talk about the difference between content versus style. So if I have an important meeting, for example, I'm thinking about the content I'm sharing, um, uh, what ideas I'm talking about within um, my presentation, but I don't think a lot about the little words in between the articles like and, the, um, uh, pronouns like I versus we or you that sort of go between these more content-based words, really because the words don't have any meaning, right? I, you, we by themselves are just kind of connectives uh, between larger themes. But what we saw in this first preliminary analysis was, wait, you, the word Y-O-U, seemed to be linked to success. Songs that said you more often, so songs like Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You or, or Queen's We Will Rock You, seemed to be more successful. And so we started wondering, well, why might, might that be? Um, and so we started going down a path, doing various different studies, doing different analyses to try to, to, try to figure it out. Uh, one thing we did, for example, we started with a data set of around 2,000 songs over three years. So we went to the billboard charts, scraped what songs were popular in different years, um, and controlling for a variety of things like radio airplay and genre and artist and uh, the content songs sing about. So that example I gave before, you know, uh, country music singing about girls and cars, dance music talking about dance moves, different topics that people are singing about. Uh, we find that songs with more you uh, were, were more successful. And so we started to try to do a little bit more work to try to understand why uh, and what made songs with you more, more likely to be a hit. What did you find? I mean, there's a difference between someone who's sort of addressing you as a person, as you point out in your paper, then there's, and that's the sort of the subject case. Then, you know, someone could use you as an object. So can you kind of explain what the difference is there and why? the latter case is the more powerful one? Yeah, so, so take uh, I Will Always Love You, Whitney Houston sing I Will Always Love You. The subject is the I, it's Whitney singing, uh, and she's singing to someone else saying I Will Always Love You. Uh, we might think she's singing to us, we might think she's singing to Bobby Brown, whatever it might be. Same with Queen's uh, We Will Rock You. Uh, we is the subject of that sentence. Uh, we, um, maybe it's Queen, maybe it's our sports team when we think about singing it, um, uh, singing to the other team, you know, we will rock you. You are the object uh, of that sentence. That's different than sentences in which you is the subject. Uh, you is the driver uh, of the action. So uh, you hurt my feelings. Uh, you love me. Um, you make me feel so happy. All of those are cases where you is the actor or, or the subject uh, of the sentence. And so 
we started this project by thinking, well, maybe it's the traditional sense uh, of you, right? So when Whitney Houston sings, I will always love you, we sit there imagining Whitney singing to us. It makes us feel really good inside, uh, and that's why uh, it's successful. Didn't, didn't seem to be that. Um, maybe we're imagining uh, Whitney singing to Bobby Brown, um, and so uh, we're following a really amazing narrative, and, and that might be going on. Didn't uh, seem, to be, seem to be that. It seemed to be something a little bit more, more nuanced. Uh, and essentially, the idea is when we hear a song like I Will Always Love You or We Will Rock You, uh, we think about someone in our own life that we feel that way toward. And I think this is quite interesting because really this gets to the core of why we like cultural products, right? Why do we like books and songs and movies uh, in the first place? Sometimes we like to be transported to other places. We watch a sci-fi movie because we want to be transported to something outside our own lives. Um, but other times we listen to these things and enjoy these things because they make our own lives in some way better, right? They help us see our own relationships, um, our own social connections as deeper and different uh, as they might be otherwise. And so when Whitney Houston's singing, I will always love you, sure, we might be thinking about Whitney and Whitney singing to Bobby or Whitney singing to us. But what we, what we actually find in our studies is that what it causes us to do is think about, huh, this is really amazing, romantic song. Who do I love? Right. When I hear Whitney Houston singing, I will always love you, it helps us think of a close other in our own lives. Um, uh, you know, I remember when I was in uh, I was in junior high school, I think, when Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You came out. Um, and I remember sort of singing that into my song in my head um, to my uh, you know girlfriend at the time and thinking about how much I cared about her. And it activates that self in our own lives that makes us feel more connected to the song. Right now, it's not just this abstract song. It's this thing that touches our own life and makes our own life uh, feel a little better. And so that's one reason you is so powerful is it helps us connect with others and like the cultural product more as a result. And specifically, so then just to clarify, when the songwriter is using you as an object, it allows you to sort of step as a listener into their shoes and imagine uh, a person in your own life who might be that you. That's exactly right. You, so sorry, should we be precise here? You, the listener, become the subject, right? So, so right. you're you're not the object. Whitney's not singing to you. You're the subject of the sentence. You are singing, right? Uh, you know, and and you can even see yourself doing this sometimes, right? Um, you know, none of us like to admit we ever sing songs, but when we're in the shower, maybe driving the car by ourselves, sometimes we do. Um, and when we're singing that song. Um, maybe we're imagining we're Whitney Houston, but what we're really doing is we're thinking about, well, I am thinking, I'm the me, and I'm thinking about that person in my own life that I, I love. I'm singing Queens, We Will Rock You. I'm thinking about that person in my own life or that other in my own life, that other team, that outsider that I dislike that we're hoping to defeat. So we become the subject. We inhabit the singer's role, uh, and we sing to that other, that you, uh, that is our own life that we feel good or bad or, or other things. Well, so not to get into pronoun soup here, but, you know, you mentioned we. Does the pronoun we have the same kind of effect? Because it is sort of like, you know, we are together, right? If it's a we. Um, what's the difference there? Yeah. And so uh, we worked on this paper. Uh, and, and by the way, once um, when you work on things like this, you listen to songs differently. Um, uh, and so, uh, you know, there's Taylor Swift's song, and I won't sing because no one will listen to the podcast anymore <laughs> if I start singing. Um, but, um, you know, Taylor Swift had a song, We Are Never Getting Back Together. We are never, ever, ever getting back together. Right. And so you could certainly imagine, right, uh, that we having a similar effect. When I sing about we, maybe I'm thinking about that other person that I'm never going to get back together with. Um, 
what I can tell you empirically, and we ran some experiments. I'm happy to talk about the experiments as well. But uh, we don't find we <laughs> don't find an effective we in in the data. So we don't find that songs that use we more often are more successful. Um, in some experiments we've run, we also don't see much evidence of we being more successful. Uh, I don't want to rule out that that could never be possible, that there are never situations in which we might help. But at least in the data that we have, in the situations that we looked at, um, we don't see an effect of we uh, at the moment. Yeah, let's touch a little bit on those experiments. So maybe explain one to us. I mean, how, how do you actually go about studying this kind of thing? Yeah, and, and I know some of the folks listening are probably going, well, that's cute. I mean, right, songs that have more use in them are more successful. But how do you know that's the reason they're more successful, right? I mean, there are hundreds of reasons that songs are successful. And so, as I mentioned, you know, one thing we try to do is control for those various things, things like uh, certain artists might be liked more, things like certain genres might be more or less popular, things like uh, radio airplay is going to help songs be successful. So we did that in the field, uh, but then we also did some experiments. Uh, and so what we wanted to try to do is essentially manipulate the number of times uh, a song had you in it um, and uh, examine the link to success. And so we did a couple things. First, we started something really simple, right? We said, hey, uh, participants, we asked a number of people in an experiment, think about a song um, that you've heard recently uh, and think about how much you like that song. Um, and then we went ahead, we did, we went ahead and grabbed the lyrics to those songs and counted the number of views that appeared. And again, what's what's neat about uh, work like this is we're not sitting there manually counting the number of views that well, we could do that. It would take a bit of time. We're using natural language processing, automated textual analysis to count it for us. Right. We use sort of scripts that run through the, the data, can pick off things like uh, pronouns, counting the number of views. We find not only that songs that have more use, people report liking them more, just like what we found in that field data. But we find evidence for our mechanism, right? When we ask people, um, how connected do you feel to others in your own life um, uh, when listening to songs like this? How much does it enable you to imagine uh, a personal other in your own life? Songs that happen to have more use in them, people report uh, imagining a personal other more, and that leads them to like um, the song more. You could say, well, hold on, that's nice, but you know, you're still not manipulating the number of views. And so uh, then uh, my co-author, uh, Grant Packard, by the way, and he's the, the first author on this uh, paper um, and this work, uh, he's at York uh, University. This work would not have been possible without him. He has a great uh, songwriting talent. Um, and so one thing he did is he actually put together some amazing songs uh, where we could manipulate the number uh, of views. So he created some fictitious songs. Uh, we made them up. Uh, they're not, not, not uh, chart toppers, let me tell you. Um, but we made up these songs. And we asked people to listen to different versions uh, of the songs, read the words from different versions of the songs. And so we created one version of the song where there are lots uh, of you pronouns, uh, things like, you know, I've known you for a while now. Um, so that's a case where the word you is an object. Uh, we also created a no personal pronoun uh, condition where it said things like I've known it for a while now, right? All other lyrics are the same, except we've shifted that you to become an it. Uh, and we even did a third uh, condition where we replaced the you pronouns with third person pronouns. I've known her for a while now, or I've known him for a while now. And so in all these cases, the rest of the lyrics are the same. Whether they're terrible or they're good, they're, they're identical. They're identically, identically decent, uh, it, it turns out. But even doing that, when we manipulate the number of views, 
people like the fictitious song more when it has more use in it, and they like it more because it encourages them to think about someone in their own life uh, that they feel that way towards. And so what I think is really nice about this is we can not only say, look, we have good causal evidence for the, the role of you and encouraging people to like things and why, uh, but we can also show it affects uh, real songs uh, in, in the field. Um, and so, you know, if you're a, a music artist, for example, and you're trying to think about, well, you know, how do I uh, lead people to like uh, like my songs more? This is certainly one way that that can lead to that. Well, it's wonderful that Grant had the skill to write the songs for the research. <laughs> All sorts of interesting skills uh, come into play when you're conducting these kinds of studies, I suppose. It, it uh, does, yes. <laughs> uh, are there any uh, lessons here for marketers beyond the music industry? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I'm a marketing professor. Um, I didn't just write this paper because I like music, though I do. Um, uh, I wrote, uh, I think there are a few interesting things uh, that come out of this paper. Uh, so first, just specific for the music industry. Um, uh, hey, if I'm a songwriter, um, uh, the number of views may impact whether or not my song is successful. If I'm a music producer or a label thinking about investing in a particular artist, this might be useful uh, to know uh, and understand. Mining lyrics uh, as a source of insight. Um, you know, there have been lots of people over time that have argued they can understand why songs succeed. Very little data actually looking at that. And so I think natural language processing is a really neat avenue to understand why some songs succeed and, and some fail and, and how we can impact that. But then I think uh, beyond the music industry, and obviously most of the listeners are, are not in the music industry, I think this is a bunch of, uh, of interesting implications. So, um, you know, there's other work showing that the word you can increase attention. So, for example, if I'm reading an ad or I'm reading a piece of mail or an email and it says or a subject line says, you know, you need to read this or you won't believe what happened next. Uh, you know, think about the clickbait world. You, you often see a lot of second person pronouns uh, in very successful online content because it encourages us to pay attention. Right. It draws our attention. Something goes, oh, wait, I want to know the implication uh, of this uh, to, to, for me. Um, and I've even done some work uh, with um, in a slightly different context, but um, looking at online uh, content, written content uh, for a large um, uh, consumer uh, facing uh, company uh, around the world and, and looking at how the language they use impact uh, customer service uh, reactions and um, and the likelihood that people read content and find it helpful. And second person pronouns play a big role there as well. And so you can be a nice uh, word to drive action even outside uh, of music. And, and Grant, uh, Grant Packard, my co-author, has done some really nice work on this in customer service itself. Uh, so looking at, you know, imagine I call customer service. What about the words they use impact whether I'm satisfied? It turns out we have to be really careful about using the word you. Uh, so, so first, they find that I is more effective than we. Uh, so uh, rather than saying, we'll take care of that for you or we'll be happy to solve your problem, uh, if I'm a customer service agent using the word I, taking responsibility, saying, I'll solve that for you, I'm really sorry that happened, um, rather than distancing it with we, I is much better, uh, but you also matters. Right. If, if I say something like, oh, well, you should try, um, you know, I was having an issue uh, at home a couple of days ago with my uh, Nest thermostat. So I called up Google and they said, oh, have you tried this? You should try that. Did you think about doing this? And what it turns out is when you use the word you a lot in that customer service context, it can make people feel like you think they're responsible. Like uh, you're telling the customer, well, you need to do this thing. You should do some work. Uh, why didn't you fix this problem? And the customer goes, well, 
hold on, this isn't just my problem, this is your problem as well. And so customers can get really uh, annoyed about that. And so even the word you itself can have an impact. And and second, as we talked about you know, earlier in the conversation, I think this just opened up a lot of avenues to study uh, language and cultural items. Whether it's songs, we're doing a bunch of other work in movies, looking at how the scripts of movies may make them successful, doing work in customer service calls and online written content. Um, there's a lot of opportunity to extract insight from the language data that's out there. Uh, many companies now are doing some version of what we'll call social listening, listening to the chatter on social media about our products and brands and services and mining that for insight. Social media is a useful channel with a set of useful data, but it's not the only useful data out there. And so there's really lots of opportunity to mine more of this data for more insight. Well, thanks, Joan. I'm looking forward to seeing what you study next. I appreciate your spending the time with us today. Thanks so much for having me. And if you like what you heard, you can listen to more podcasts from Knowledge of Wharton on your favorite podcast player. And if you want to read more about Jonah's research, check us out on knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 